can get started tonight. Seems like our number is a little bit off tonight from what I can see. I know we've got a lot of people that are homesick. Uh, this flu or whatever's going around is just going around right now. So if you hadn't got it, it looks like you will, right? <laughs> but anyhow, hopefully not. But we're glad you're here tonight and we want to especially uh, welcome those who are visiting with us. Thank you for coming. And uh, we want to invite you to come back and be with us Sunday morning at 9.30 for our worship service and then on Sunday evening at 5 for our Bible classes. If you did not get to pick up a bulletin yet, please do so before you leave. It's got some very pertinent information. I've got just a couple of updates. Uh, Eddie Mooney is now home uh, following a successful procedure in Oxford yesterday. Also, Martha Yates is home and uh, she's recovering from ankle surgery. There's quite an extensive list of activities going on for lads to leaders. I'm not gonna take the time uh, to read when every group is meeting and what you're gonna be doing. Uh, but if you'll look at that tonight, it's got March the 3rd and March the 10th uh, in there as far as several activities that our lads to leaders groups are gonna be involved in. So please keep that in mind. Also, got a couple of sign-up sheets in the foyer we need you to take notice of. First of all, our nursery, uh, ladies who can help tend the nursery during Sunday morning worship, please sign up in the foyer. Also, uh, our Wednesday night devotional list, men who are willing to present a four to five minute devotional on Wednesday night, please sign up in the foyer. I think we have a available uh, Wednesday night, March the 20th. And uh, I don't wanna, I really not 
don't want to come searching for you. So if y'all just go back there and sign that list, and uh, we'd love for you to extend an invitation one Wednesday night. Uh, we've got several who have passed from this life. We want to express our sympathy to Gay Rowland in the death of her brother-in-law, Brian Hill of Iuka. We also want to express our deepest sympathy to Becky Johnson in the death of her brother-in-law, Larry Kennedy. This is also uh, Rebecca Elliott's uncle. Uh, I understand that the visitation is going to be this coming Saturday uh, from 10 until noon at the Oak Ridge Church of Christ building. Uh, the funeral will follow that at noon. So everything will take place on Saturday at the Oak Ridge Church of Christ building. Uh, our food pantry item for this week is rice. I hope you'll uh, help us with that if at all possible. I believe that's all the announcements that I have tonight. For our devotional, Thomas Long is going to be leading our singing. The Todd English will present our devotional thoughts, and uh, Jerry Legan will dismiss us in prayer. For our first song, we'll be singing I Am Resolved, 948, I Am Resolved, the first and the second verse. I am resolved no longer to linger, He said 45 minutes or four to five minutes, so I hope I get this right. I won't, I won't. Okay, the, the title of my lesson tonight, a uh, little devotional, is what is wrong with the world and what are we going to do about it? I'm going to answer this once and for all so that there's, there's no confusion at the end. I get asked a lot in my job, what's wrong with the younger generation? I get asked by the older teachers what's wrong with the younger generation of teachers. And what they don't understand is when they were a younger generation of teachers, the older generation of teachers was asking the same thing about them. Well, is the world really worse off than it's ever been? In the last 20 years, the number of people in poverty have been cut in half. 
80% of the world has access to electricity, the most ever. School enrollment has increased 17% since 1970. Life expectancy worldwide in 1960, 52 years old. Does this mean that everything is great? No. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And in this, I'm going to change the word tares, T-A-R-E-S, to, to weeds, okay? Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25 says, But while men slept, let's replace the word with while men did nothing. His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the weeds also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Then he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to them, Do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, No. Lest you gather up the weeds, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the weeds and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat and put it in my barn. Now I want to go over two or three Bible stories about sin uh, in history. First of all, all we've got to do is flip over a couple of pages in, in Genesis, the Garden of Eden. Eve ate the fruit and then offered the fruit to Adam. And I learned this during the, the Valentine's sermon, Brother Ken. Adam ate the fruit after Eve because he loved Eve. We've got to think about that. Knowing it was wrong, he still ate the fruit because he loved Eve. The next example of sin in the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pleaded, God, if I can find 10 righteous people, please save this city. 10. We had 70 go on a church trip this past weekend. 70 youth. We've got youth that are not in here learning the Bible right now. Okay? Again, the number one thing that tells you that the world is not worse now than it's ever been is the crucifixion. The Jews let it get that far, okay? But in all of this, there's one part of the crucifixion that tells you the world's been messed up since it was formed. The people voted for Barabbas. Never forget the people voted for Barabbas over Jesus to take him, to not put him on that cross. The bottom line, the world is no better or worse today than it's always been. The Lord will have the final say, however. But I haven't answered your question, what is wrong with the world? This question was answered in the early 1900s. The London Times uh, sent out to all of the 19th century authors, the famous authors, and said, please answer this and we'll run it in the paper, the London Times, your answer. The author C.K. Chesterton responded with a simple answer. 
I am. I am what's wrong with the world. You see, when I point one finger at somebody, guess how many I've got pointed back at me? But what are we told to do? In 2008, there were three young ladies that went on vacation after high school to Uganda. While they were in Uganda, they saw an orphanage that was, had severe abuse. It's called the Musana Orphanage. Severe abuse. Anytime we see that the world is worse than it's ever been and we say, God, why don't you do something? Remember, he did. He created us. If you need to come and make it right with God and make it right with the Lord, come as we stand and sing. kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this day and all the many wonderful blessings that You have blessed us with. And Father, we thank Thee that we have the opportunity to come midweek and worship Thee and give praises unto Thee. And Father, just be with, but most of all, Father, we thank Thee for Thy Son, Jesus, who came to this earth and died on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. And Father, be with each one of us tonight. Just forgive us of our sins and help us to be able to resist the devil and his temptations. And Father, be with those that are sick among the congregation. 
just be with them and those have had surgery and just be with them and bless them and help them to get well as soon as possible. And Father, be with the congregation here at Boonville. Just bless each member and their families and watch over all of us and keep us safe. Father, be with our elders and just bless them and grant them the wisdom they need to oversee the congregation. And be with our deacons and our teachers and just bless them and let them continue the good work that they're doing. And Father, be with Brother Ken and Brother Doug and bless them and let them continue with their good work. Be with those that work in the food pantry, the clothes cottage, the caring cooks, those that help with the college ministry, the office personnel, the custodians, and the maintenance. Just let each one continue to do their good work. And Father, as just be with those that have lost loved ones and continue to bless them as only you can. And Father, we thank Thee for all the many blessings. And just be with us tonight and go with us as we leave this building. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As the teachers go to class, we'll sing victory.
appreciate Brother Ligon leading us in prayer. I was told we need to also remember Becky Nelms in our prayers. She's going to be going to MD Anderson for treatment and assessment, and, and we need to remember her in prayer as well. I would encourage each of you to get a copy of the bulletin. There are several listed that are sick and several that we need, as Doug had mentioned, that have had deaths in their families. We are continuing our study in, in Galatians. We've really been laying the foundation, and tonight we're planning on moving into the introduction to the book itself. You know, this... As near as we can tell, in Paul's first missionary journey, he established several congregations in Galatia. And this letter is sent to multiple congregations, those that he had established, and then went back and revisited on that first missionary journey, and then later again on other journeys. We're in actually the fourth lesson of our 13 lesson series tonight. Our intent is to cover Galatians chapter one, verses one through 10. If we're gonna have these scriptures on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, I would encourage you to do that as well. Brother Rick Warner is gonna be our designated reader tonight. I've got several questions after these first few verses. Those questions are in your study guide, so be looking at that. I'd be interested in your answers to those questions. But Brother Rick, would you start out with us tonight? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. This is the introduction to Galatians. Uh, how does Paul identify himself and, and what is the significance of that identification? First of all, how did Paul identify himself? Thank you, Sister Mason. She said he identified himself as an apostle appointed by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He also went on to say that his apostleship was not through any man. And we're gonna see as we start going through this first chapter that he stresses a lot that he did not get his information from man. You may be surprised as we go through this that how much Jesus talks to the Apostle Paul. You know, some people think that when Jesus ascended into heaven that he retired. But we can see from this that he was certainly active in the life of the Apostle Paul. What greeting did Paul convey to the churches of Galatia from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ? Grace and mercy Brother Mormon said, or grace and peace. Uh, just an interesting observation, at least to me, and here in the beginning of Galatians, he extends grace and from 
God and Jesus, that's in verse 3 of chapter 1. Then at the end of the letter, he's praying that the grace of Jesus would be with them. That's in Galatians 6 and verse 18. But he warns them that they can fall from grace. And we find that in Galatians 5 and verse 4. Grace is a gift. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest gift we've ever been given. And he wants them to take advantage of that gift. They are running risk in the whole book of Galatians that they're going to give up the gift that God has given them. They're going to give up his grace because they're contaminating his word with Old Testament elements. And that's why he warns them that they can fall from grace if they keep doing that. But at the end, he prays that they would have grace. And that would tell me that he is praying that they're going to listen to what he tells them during this book. Who made the decision that Jesus should give himself for our sins? God the Father. Thank you, Sister Mormon. It was the will of God and the Father that Jesus Christ should leave heaven and come to earth and suffer and die as he did and sacrifice himself and shed his precious blood for us. Why did Jesus give himself for our sins? He wanted to be obedient to the Father. All through Jesus' teaching, we'll find that he was submissive to the Father's will. Just think about that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Let this cup pass from me if it is your will, but not my will, but your will be done. So he, he did that, that he might deliver us from this evil age. I appreciate Brother Todd's uh, devotional message tonight. Even back in Jesus' time, Jesus referred to what they were going through as an evil age. He also did that, as was indicated earlier, because it was the will of the Father. Now we're going to move on and read verses 6 through 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that what you have received, let him be accursed. For I, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. All right, if you're in one of these churches in Galatia, this is a letter that you have just received. And I would contend that the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia is different than his others. We're going to take a moment and, and look at the difference and how he addressed other congregations and how he addressed the churches in Galatia. Brother Rick, I hope you're ready to read. In Romans chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Reading it again. All right, thank you. Yeah. Now, you'll remember that Paul hadn't been to Rome yet, and yet he was thanking God through Jesus Christ that they had this worldwide reputation of being faithful. Not only that, he tells them before he gets into any kind of doctrinal issue or instructions that he has for them that he's been praying for them. It's very common in his letters for him to mention that he's praying for a congregation. I don't think he said that back in Galatians. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. When I think about the church in Corinth, and especially 1 Corinthians, I think about a church with a multitude of problems. It seems like every chapter has a different kind of problem in it. And yet, in this introduction, he thanks God for the multitude of spiritual gifts that he's given them. In verse 5, you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Through spiritual gifts, they knew what was right, even though they didn't do it all the time. But when he wrote them the letter, he starts out sort of being kind to them. It's in 2 Corinthians, go ahead. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that you are protectors of the suffering. So also you will be protectors of the consolation. You know in 2 Corinthians that they had listened to some of the things that he wrote about in 1 Corinthians. I, I know one of the things they had had to withdraw fellowship from a person who was involved in sexual immorality. And, this, and he had to sort of tell them to, to back off because this person has repented. You need to be kind to them. And so here when he writes this letter, he has hope for their steadfastness. And he recognizes their suffering and he knows that they're going to be blessed in the end. When he wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter 1, starting with verse 15, he said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of me. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling 
what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So Paul knows their faith and love for the saints, and Paul prays for their continued spiritual growth. I'm going to switch to the preacher mic. I don't know if you're seeing a, a trend develop here, but I didn't mean the trend of microphones going out. <laughs> All right. Philippians. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul thanks this particular congregation because actually they were a congregation that had supported his mission work and he was thankful for that and he prays that their good works will continue. Then when he wrote to the church in Colossae, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So once again, he thanks God for their faith in Jesus Christ and for their love for, uh, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And this congregation seems to be demonstrating that. When he wrote to the Thessalonians in the first book, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So, once again, Paul is thanking them, and he was specific about their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the second letter, he said, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because of your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. This, this congregation's faith is growing. This congregation's love is abounding. It was so good that when Paul talked to other congregations, he boasted about the Thessalonian church to the other congregations. So we've got nine letters from Paul to churches recorded in the New Testament. Now I know this took a little bit of time, but, but to me it just stands out as drastically different when he wrote to the church, churches in Galatia. Why, why do you think that Paul skipped his typical statements of thanksgiving or praise in the letter to the churches in Galatia. I'd be interested in your insight. He wasn't too happy with what's going on. He wasn't too happy with what's going on. How many people would think he wasn't too happy? I see a lot of hands going up. All right. Well, is there any other reason you think he skipped 
the praise and the prayer or the mentioning of the prayer. You got any other ideas on that? He was trying to get their attention. He was trying to get their attention. I know Janita and I were blessed to raise five children and sometimes we had to get their attention. If we said it's time for a living room conversation, we knew that we had their attention because we were not, it not, wasn't going to be a lot of platitudes. We were going to come in and we're going to be serious about what we had to talk about. Well, he is serious about what he's got to talk about here. Has anybody else got any other ideas on why he dealt with the churches of Galatia differently? Bad if they desert Christ, nothing else matters. Leanne, I appreciate your answer. Leanne said they were deserting Christ, and if they deserted Christ, nothing else mattered. You know, if you think about the problems in the church in Corinth where they had a problem every time, it wasn't everybody having the problem, and most of their problems were moral or behavioral. They weren't dealing with one another correctly. But in Galatians, he's dealing with a doctrinal issue. If, if they have compromised the grace or the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for them. The whole congregation is going to be lost. When I, when I answered this question, I said he was totally surprised at how gullible they were to the false teaching of the, of the Judaizing teachers. And the impact of following this false teaching could cost the Galatians their soul. And Paul was also very sensitized to this issue because he had just come from this Jerusalem conference where they had been dealing with this subject. And these people are Christians because of his teaching them the gospel and he took it as a personal insult to them to go against what he had shared with them that he had gotten from Jesus Christ himself. That was my answer, but I like Leanne's better. According to Paul's letter in Galatians 1, 6, and 7, what does a person do when they add to or take away from the gospel that Paul preached, had preached to them? They have sinned. I'm looking for a word. They have done what to the gospel? perverted it. They have perverted the gospel of Christ. It is no longer the gospel of Christ. It is no longer the good news. I want you to look at the definition of pervert. I got this, uh, when, I, when I look this up, think about words like corrupt or misdirect or misuse or misinterpret. Now, we see a lot of this in political campaigns where people take what one person has said and they twist it all around. Well, Paul was seeing them take what he had gotten from Jesus Christ himself and they were twisting it all around and he was saying they were perverting it. Now, look at Galatians 1.8. Would you read that again, please? But though we are an angel from heaven should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached unto you, let him be anathema. Let him be anathema. Uh, the gospel advocate commentary said about this 
that Paul's claim was that the gospel as he had preached it was complete, absolute, and final, and if he himself or even an angel from heaven should preach another gospel than that he had preached to let him be anathema or accursed. Well, what should we do if someone tries to teach us something other than the gospel of Christ, and maybe they're claiming that their new information came from an angel. If you encounter somebody that does that to you, what should you do? Not listen to them. Well, what did Jesus do when the devil challenged him in the wilderness? He did what? It is written, and then he quoted scripture to them. Well, so what should we do if somebody tries to say, I've got a new gospel for you, something that's new and different, something that somebody heard from an angel and passed on to me? What should we do? We should reject it. What If you're going to use a scripture, what scripture would you use? The one we just read. You know, a good example would be Galatians 1.8. We could quote that in the spirit that Jesus quoted scripture to the devil in the wilderness. What did Paul mean when he said, let him be anathema or accursed? Completely cut off. I think. Completely cut off. I like that, that answer, Brother Beard. Uh, in Hallman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, I read that Paul invoked such a curse on those who did not love the Lord in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, as well as one who preached another gospel that we've just read about in, 1, in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. It is from these uses that anathema has come to mean banned or excommunicated by a religious body. Probably the most extreme example I can find in Scripture is in Romans, the ninth chapter and verse 3, where Paul said he would, was willing to become cursed and cut off, and that's from the Greek word anathema, from the Messiah, for the benefit of the Jewish brothers. In other words, he was saying, if I could just convince the Jewish nation to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'd be willing to be lost myself. Now, I, I looked up in Strong's Greek Dictionary that the meaning of anathema, and then you can see it at the bottom of the screen there, thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed, and if an animal to be slain, therefore a person or thing doomed to destruction, a curse, a man a curse, devoted to the direst, of woes. So he's telling these people in Galatia that if you're going to believe this garbage that these Judaizing teachers are sharing with you, you're in a heap of trouble, boy. Now the point that Paul is made, making in Galatians 1.8 is repeated again in Galatians 1.9. Sir? He 
He did, all right. Would, Rick, would you read both 8 and 9 here? But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, say now I say again. So now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Why do you think Paul told them twice that if anybody preaches any other gospel to them, let him be accursed? Why did he repeat himself? To get their attention. Anybody else got any adding anything to add to that? The answer, the, the answer here says it reminds me of my mom. <laughs> when she said, don't make me repeat myself, the children knew exactly what she was meaning. Thank you, Sister Galloway. He might have been listening to the future, knowing what would happen. Well, we do hear people try to pervert the gospel even oh, today. He, he's reinforcing his, his letter. Reinforcing what they've done wrong. What they have to... Uh, the false teaching that's been there. He's just reinforcing that they were, it was wrong for them to do what they've done. Brother Bonham is saying he is reinforcing what they're doing, letting them know that what they're doing is wrong. And he just keeps... Stressing it and, and stressing it again. That's the way they teach in school. Repetition is the way you learn. Well, that's one of the things that Jesus did. Jesus was the greatest teacher we ever had. He had about six different <coughs> ways of teaching, and one of those was repetition. Just go and start looking at the number of times he told his disciples that he was going to have to die and then be resurrected. It took a long time for it to sink in on their, on their part. You know, there are a lot of scriptures in the New Testament that warn about false teaching, not just what Paul has said here. We're going to look at a few of those. Rick? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. This is a warning from Jesus himself. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, this is a warning from the Apostle John in 1 John 4 and verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there, were, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even deny, denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And this is the Apostle Peter over in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. Once again, a multitude of warnings about false teachers. What about Jude? Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out, marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I call your attention to that highlighted part on the screen. Contend earnestly for the faith. Don't let anybody compromise the Word of God. It was delivered once. And then when Paul was writing to the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. For such are false prophets. This, this is... Uh, we're going to Paul again. This is in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. You ready? Yeah. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You can see from this particular warning who is behind false teaching. It's the devil himself and those that work for the devil. And then in Colossians 2 and verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tra tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Now then let's go back to our text and the Verse 10 of Galatians 1. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It would be very easy to give in to pressure, to, to uh, please men. You know, Paul warned there in Acts chapter 20 that sometimes... Even the false teaching can come from and within the leadership of the church, and we have to be very careful. If Paul had compromised the gospel message to please men, what would that make him? It'd make him a false preacher. He said there in that verse, he would no longer be a bondservant of Christ. He, he would give up his Christianity if he became a false teacher. Brother Jim, uh, a few years ago, it was before her and I got married, but um, he was visiting one day and some more missionaries knocked on the door. Um, I had a lot of women to study. And one thing that I believe they never really understood they believe in other gods and other worlds. Um, but you can show them the Bible and you can show them that the verse about letting them be a curse. And you can show them the verse about there only being one God. You know, you can show them all of these things and they will say, well, that's on this one. But then there's, there's these other, you know, that's their answer. It's like there's an answer for everything that they won't even listen to. And, and I, don't, I don't understand that. How, like, there's some belief systems out there that are so warped that the Bible doesn't even face it. Well, Mr. Barr said that she had some missionaries 
knock on her door. She invited the men to talk to them. And as she was talking to them, she was sharing scripture after scripture with them. But it had no impact. You know, the, if, if a false teacher will not listen to the word of God, you have no hope. You know, I'm thinking about what we studied last week about what Jesus told his disciples to do when people would not accept the message, you know, to shake the dust off of, of your feet off and go to the next person. There, all we can do is share the word of God, and if they will not accept the word of God, then let's hope that the next person we talk to does accept the word of God. It, and we need to continue, you know, put on the whole armor of God, and having done all to stand, that... that Sometimes that's hard, especially when you're faced with people who are supposed to be religious, but they won't accept the word of God. All we can do is stand up for God's word and share it with other people. I, I give scripture to them, they ain't been back. Sometimes you, you do give scriptures to them and, and they do not come back. Uh, sometimes when they find out that you're going to invite them in, they don't come back. I know we had one of our sons visiting us, and we got a telemarketer call. I don't know what you do when you get a telemarketer. Maybe you just hang up. But he said to the telemarketer, well, I just wanted to have a short Bible study with you. And he started quoting scripture to him. Do you know what that telemarketer did? <laughs> Click. We've got a little bit of time left. We're going to move on in to lesson five. It's Paul shares the source of his inspiration. You'd said earlier that he did just jump right into the discussion with them because he was upset. And I think one of the reasons he was upset was because he, his message came directly from Jesus Christ. Uh, we may not get too far along, but I want you to at least hear Brother Rick read Galatians 1, 11 through 24 for next week. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my, my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. 
but they were hearing only. He, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. So to whom did Paul attribute his knowledge of the gospel? <coughs> I'm going to be more specific on the Godhead. What part of the Godhead? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In Galatians 12, he said, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice these uh, other references of direct communication between Jesus and Saul or Paul. We've studied about some of them. You know, during his conversion, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, that conversation that went on between Jesus and Paul. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Who is communicating here? Paul and Jesus. Paul and Jesus. and Jesus are having a conversation. In Acts 18, 9 and 10, Now the Lord spoke to Paul by night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And in Acts 22, 17 through 21, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Who was speaking here? Paul and, and Jesus, once again. In Acts 23 and verse 11, But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, we know... We, have, we refer to 1 Corinthians the 11th chapter a lot of times when we're about to observe the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul had a thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord 
three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I hope you're blown out of the water with how many times Jesus himself spoke to Paul. He was with the other apostles for three years. I don't know how long he continued with Paul in the 14 years before he started his first missionary journey, but he was in regular communication with the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul, for all that he did, for the courage that he showed. And we pray that we would learn from our study of Galatians how to take a stand for truth and stand with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.